This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. This is a UK Coaching podcast. My name is Tom Hartley. I'm a senior coach developer at UK Coaching, and I'm joined on the pod today with former England netball head coach, Tracy Neville. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Um, big focus for our conversation uh, on the call today is really to, to help coaches zoom in on leadership and help them think about what great leadership looks like for them in their context and, and in their sport. Um, but before we get started and, and into that, it'd be awesome, Tracy, if you could maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background and, and your route through and into coaching. Um. Coaching was one of them that was sort of a sideline for me, um, obviously based quite heavily in an amateur sport. Um, I started coaching probably as early as the age of about 16 because it was something that used to supplement some of my income. Um, and it, it was easy access for me to go out there and support other senior coaches, um, other um you know, schools, clubs, um, and in a way, I felt that that was actually a, a huge positive um, for my coaching journey because what you what you start to do from a young age is you you start to learn the intricates of the game, but you also are introduced to a lot of coaching styles as you go, um, and obviously, like I say, it was it was a reason I got into it was to pay the bills, and I had one probably key influencer she was called Marion Lofthouse who was one of my high performance coaches and obviously an England selector as well at the time who sort of led a lot of my training through um, the Northwest Pathway who used to make me come down to high performance training and do my level one and level two coaching badges and and I could never understand why she wanted me to do it um, and I think now about when I was about 13 years later and um, I, I come obviously to quit my playing career um, I was so glad that she made me do it because probably they're the hardest things that you have to get within your coaching um, particularly when you've played at an international level obviously I played and got 81 caps for England you you know to go through a level one and level two is and to go back to the basics and the you know the basics of the game and how to manage your environment you know, is 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 pretty difficult for an international player to do that. And at the time, you're a little bit cocky in the fact that you think, why do I need to do that? But actually, in a way, it does help you and support your um, your your actual management on the job. And and I felt that as I as later on as I started to coach. But yeah, she she was really good in in forcing me to do that. Um, and in a way, I say force, but you know, she she did she did a really good job of doing that and mentoring me through that particular process at the time. And in a way, it, it did give me a lot more funding to be able to, um, you know, put more into my sport. Um, you know, I could pick up quite a few coaching jobs. And, and along the way, I then started to work for a coach education co um, company. So while I was playing, I was also um, delivering to coaches and schools around the country. Um, and, and bringing the, you know, the, the key ends of the game and up-to-date ends of the game to, to them, them particular environments. So now, you know, that's one of something that I'm still really passionate about, um, involving them schools and keeping them in touch 
with what's happening at the international level. And I don't know where I go on here, Tom, but um, obviously when I stopped um, playing, um, coaching wasn't something I really wanted to get into. Um, if someone had asked me at the time, do you want to head coach England? It wasn't something um, that I aspired to be at that time. I think it was because I'd, I'd been so involved with playing, I, I sort of needed a break. And um, I took a step aside and I went back and did uh, another degree. So I'd already done a maths degree, but I went back and did a sports science and nutrition degree. Um, and I got mentored by um, an individual who said, actually, if you do want to get into coaching, you be, you're best having an holistic approach to all the different areas. And so during that three years that I took a break from netball and a I only took up little bits of coaching. I also did my UKSA, which is my strength and conditioning qualification. So what it did is it gave me an overall um, avenue into the different disciplines that are involved in um, head coaching. Um, and, and, and actually, you know, in a way at the time, I thought it was just something that I did. But actually, it, it proved really crucial when I was in my head coach role in respect to being able to understand um, the different disciplines and the different staff members that you're working with and be able to um, ask ask the relevant questions that were essential in a, a top performing job. Kind of looking back when you started your, your level one and your level two kind of alongside your playing career, did becoming a coach, having, having an insight into how a coach would look at the game and, and think about supporting others, did that impact on the way you played? No, it didn't. Um, and that that is a real shame for me. Um, I actually did when I finished went go on to do my level three, which was is the top obviously um, UK coaching qualification. Um, but I wish I wish I'd have looked into it a lot more. Um, I you know I probably learnt a lot from we had at the time in England netball um, probably some of the best coaches in the world um, over probably a ten year period in four year cycles and we you know we had some great people who come and give insight into our sport but the coaching at the time you know you don't see where it's relevant and and I look back at school and I, and I sort of compare it to that really at the time you know where am I going to use this in life um, and and that in a way at the time because I was playing I didn't feel that I needed to use it because you know I was even though we were an amateur sport I turned up and everything was done for me you know the clips were already you know were already done for me and um, the environment had been managed, the safety of the environment had been managed. So it was something that I didn't really need need to do. And also when I used to do coaching at schools, you know, teachers had took that responsibility away from me to be able to do that. Um, and it was only when I started to take over environments, um, when I got um, first doing um, a pathway team at Leeds Carnegie and then obviously doing um, Team Northumbria, Manchester Thunder and then England, I started to realise the importance of that qualification in how I manage that environment, health and safety, you know, so I'm one of them now that walks in and has to clear the space and, you know, and I think you don't, you realise that actually that was just something that was just a tick box at the time, but actually by looking back, it actually was really relevant when I started to take on them lead positions. You mentioned a minute ago about being surrounded by some brilliant coaches within within your roles, and I'm just thinking about being kind of head coach of a of a national team, and the the support you must have around you. What did did you find yourself having to 
work and, and operate in a different way when you have this these kind of different specialists working with you to get the best out of them and then I suppose the best out of the players? Um, I think there's two questions to that, Tom. I think the first one was um, working with inspirational coaches and stuff like that. When I got the England job, I was very isolated. Um, it was probably one of the loneliest positions I probably had um, and felt within the first probably one year and a half. Like People have to respect that I've gone from a position where I was head coach of um, Manchester Thunder. At, at that point, I'm no threat to anyone. Um, obviously, you're, threat, you're a threat to the other clubs within um, nationally um, that you're playing against, but you're not a threat to the England coach, um, to the coaches working in the England system. I also did a lot of um, self-education and experience by going across to Australia and watching some of them sessions and speaking to them coaches who, you know, I then started to become really good um, associates with. As soon as you get this England coach role, nobody wants you in their environment because you're a threat. And and that become really, really difficult for me um, because where I had had some really key mentors and people that I could really um, soundboard off, um, they they sort, of t- they sort of diminished because as you start to move up, um, move up the ranks in coaching, you obviously, the, you always have your central mentor who has been with you for a long, long time, but you also have to, um, increase the intelligence and the experience of the person that's actually supporting you as well um, and them are really hard to find when you get the top level job because um, you know there's not many people that have been in top level jobs and I, I always said that you know we we need to do more probably in looking at ways within the UK of also bringing through the, the top coaches within the country and using them as um, like using their experience, I, you know, I've seen that a lot. They do that with the performance directors. They do it a lot with the chief executives, um, but not a lot is done within coaching. And and we we put it down to time and availability. But I think more effort has to be done with that because I feel that coaches are probably when I was in that role are probably the most the least unsupported people. I feel that there's a lot of pressure coming from the top down. There's a lot of pressure coming from your players upwards. And you just got this coach right in the middle who is trying to fend off a lot of responsibility from the external, but also in, in that sandwich shape as well. And um, yeah, so that, that become quite, that quite become quite difficult for me at the time who likes to soundboard off people. But as I started to go through, you, you do start to diminish down your group of support staff it, to the, to the point where, there, there are special people and they're not normally the ones I actually found who are my biggest mentors and the biggest soundboards were actually not, were not probably coaches or coaching netball. Um, I had a great mentor um, and England netball were great in doing that for me in, in Ashley Giles, who obviously now is um, leading the ECB cricket. He was on, he's on the board at England netball and he become a really great soundboard for me. Um, particularly with the experience he'd had through his coaching and then obviously moving into managerial. And then I had another person um, who was actually a clinical psychologist who was managing our um, um, changing from changing minds, who was managing our culture um, and, and supporting our team within the environment. Um, but what I really found hard 
as at that level was the trust of trusting someone that was outside of our sport. Um, you know, it, it's very hard when you're in that position to trust someone that's not within the governing body. And I think I probably should have worked harder at finding them people. And I think that's when I did look back on my family to support me a lot more. Um, and obviously my partner, Michael, as well. I probably went to them a lot more for support because I knew that whatever I said to them, I trusted what was coming back at me. What, what, uh, having someone like Ashley kind of there as a, as a sounding board, as a, as a springboard for things, did, having someone from outside of a sport, when you've reflected on that, that relationship, is there any real benefit or positive to having that support from someone who's perhaps got real fresh eyes on, on what you're doing? Like the the greatest thing about Ashley, he um, he he was very neutral. Um, I felt that you know I think there's one thing you always want someone outside the environment because they're not thinking about the governing body and the the objectives of England netball. So and also the trust. You know when you when you say something to someone, you want that to be not bounded back at you through your line manager or your job. And and that is something. But I felt with Ashley, um, I, tr- I really sincerely trusted him. Um, and he really gave me great feedback. Um, obviously, there were some things that you don't discuss with him that were set aside from that. You tend to discuss more the things that he, he was, was some of his strengths. Um, and also, I think that's where that external person is really key. But I felt the best environment, Tom, that I ever was in, I was actually a performance manager after I left um, elite, elite netball playing at Leeds Carnegie. Um, and we, we used to have a room, a coaching room, that was surra- surrounded by actually top coaches at that time. Um, the vice-chancellor brought in some of the top coaches within badminton, volleyball, hockey, and netball and these were all in one office and that was probably one of the best environments I'd ever been in listening to their experiences and being able to share experiences within what was happening within netball and within the game and and it was also um, mixed gender as well Um, and I thought that was actually quite key being from quite a female dominated sport in coaching and in playing um, it was nice to listen to another perspective um, and you know emotional intelligence from you know obviously different genders and that's why I feel that <clears throat> probably more work has to be done from um, coaching in the UK about how we can get the best coaches in the room to be able to influence the environment and, and within that coaching environment we used to do a lot on um, presenting to each other on um, particular aspects of coaching and that was led by our line manager at the time um, on different topics, you know, and then we were able to discuss them topics and give our, give our views on that and whether that coach had managed that particular scenario um, correctly and whether other people had agreed with that and whether they'd had any um, scenarios within that. And I felt that that is probably one of my best learnings ever. And, and that you can't do within a qualification, I don't think. Um, I think that's really difficult to do within a qualification. That sounds sounds like a phenomenal place to go and learn stuff and and just bounce ideas and that that learning from other people and I completely agree I think qualifications will take people to a point but all that other stuff which happens around it those those conversations 
when you're walking between between the rooms out, out to the court or the pitch when you when you're thinking and digesting this stuff and trying to apply it back into your own environment um that's where the real learning takes place yeah exactly and you know i felt that my biggest learnings weren't in a classroom my biggest learnings were um over a coffee um going into other people's environments um you know over having dinner with someone i, I feel that that is where people are a lot more relaxed um you know i feel that in head coach and leadership roles now we're always being judged um and i always say you know i don't actually want a wedding where you walk down the aisle because i feel that in in a head coach role that's what people are doing the judging you know what you're wearing what you're doing who you select who's at your wedding you know and i said that that would be the worst possible scenario for me even though as a little girl that was probably something i dreamed to do but that's where you are in leadership and i feel that when you're in an informal environment and people want to set up meetings all the time but i don't actually think that that's probably the that's where you learn a lot about your coaching or about the coaches and you know i felt within my staff group i didn't learn about my staff members in a meeting um or i didn't learn about my staff members um by you know interview them i learned about my staff members by going out for dinner with them doing something fun with them having a a glass of wine with them that that's where i learned properly um about the people that were in my environment and <clears throat> i think working a little bit harder on finding the correct environments is you know it is a real positive step for for um teams these days that, that's really interesting and i i was just <coughs> thinking about coaches working across lots of different sports and how perhaps we we have a tendency to do things traditionally. We we like to go and have a meeting to find that stuff because that's the way we've always done it. But just thinking about well, yeah, getting to know the person rather than their their output is is key to helping understand people and help help kind of work with them as well. Um, one thing I'm really curious about, Tracy, you you, you said the word a little while ago, um, and I'd love to dig into it a bit deeper. Is around culture um, and perhaps working kind of in, in your head coach role around how you developed a, a kind of a winning culture or a culture amongst your, your staff and your, your players where everyone was on the same page that that must take an incredible amount of hard work you know i i, I reflect on you know and this is where i probably had a real um strength within my coaching role because i've been part of england netball since i was 16 year old and i've looked at um the, the real strengths that England netball had over that particular period. But I've also looked at where we, we fell down and the, the particular highlights for me was, um, I remember once when it was my first Commonwealth games in 1998 and we had two great leaders at the time, Lucia Sadao and Fiona Murta. And I remember we sat in a room and the, the aim at the time was to win a bronze medal. That was the, that was the only achievable medal, they deemed that we could win at that particular time now to say to someone you're going into a competition to only get third is a real negative you know if you know why are we why are we putting in all this why are we training all this just to win um be third who wants to be third like that is not how i was brought up as a family i always wanted to be number one and we we sat in that room and i remember um, Lucia and Fiona at the time give this real passionate speech about because there was somebody in that room that doubted that they even could come third they doubted that 
that we weren't going to get that medal. And they, I remember they sat in this room going, and, and they started to say about how much you've given up, how much we're training hard, how much we're part of a team. And, and they give this massive, like quite a, a shivering speech at the time. It, it was real passionate. And, and, the, and basically um, at the end, by, every, by the end of everyone, everyone had said they wanted to win this bronze medal. Now, going on from that and moving on from that, I'd heard that along the time that I'd sat in meetings with coaches, I'd sat in with players, with them saying, if we don't get this medal, we're not going to get our funding. If we're not going to... And that, again, become a real negative for me because I don't go into sport. I didn't play netball for money because there was no money in netball at the time. I, I played to win. I played to be that. And so that was one of the real key things and conversations I had with Changing Minds when they come into our environment in the fact that I want to know what this team want. Um, I don't, a lot of the time, you know, psychology have had a real bad history where they've come in they started to investigate individuals now individuals they say I don't make a team and, and that is so true but I said to change your mind I said let's discover what the team is let's discover identity what we are what we have to all live up to and then what we do is we work down from that you know and if that individual can't live to them team behaviors and strengths then they're not part of this team. And, and that's the sort of how we worked it. And I remember we, we started once at the start of the year and it was a really, really good exercise. We got all the staff in there. We got all the players in there. And we did these posters. We all split up um, and mixed staff and players. And basically we had to write on this poster about why we're here, um, what we wanted to achieve and how we were going to do it. And it was interesting listening because a physio had a different... Um, incentive to being there than a player a player was there you know for a different reason than the doctor or than the performance director but the one thing that we come out with um, in each particular group and we'd set up in about five different groups was that we were all there to win a gold medal that was our central goal what how we got to get that why we were there and what the procedures we had to put in place to get to that gold medal were all different but our outcome was all the same um, and the other thing was that we, we discussed about, you know, the, the difference of why we're not only about the gold medal, but, you know, I love netball because I feel that I never have to work. When I was coaching netball, I felt that I was in a job that I felt that I never have to work. And it become a central thing b b with all of us that some of the girls just loved the train, you know, the training, the team. And we actually felt that we actually had some real common themes between us all. And the, the central one was that we all wanted to win gold medal. Now, I've never sat in a room where everyone has said they wanted to do that. And, and I just knew that that was the kickoff from the culture. Um, and once we'd had that, we, we always addressed them posters throughout. And even before we won the gold medal at the Commonwealth Games, about four days before we sat down and re-looked re at them posters, that how we, got, how we get to that gold medal, everyone's path is going to be different. But we, we're all here to achieve the same goal. Um, and Changing Minds did an excellent job alongside one of actually our performance lifestyle, Helen Alfano, in working with the team on, you know, assigning, you know, behaviours. What, what, what standards do we want to live up to? Um, we did as a coaching group on what, what identity, you know, what, what are Australia known for? And, you know, Australia known for, you know, possession and keeping the ball short. You know, what are England known for? And then the strengths that we 
we wanted to work for. I've been in teams where, you know, we're trying to live up to someone else's identity or we're trying to live up to someone else's culture or someone else's words. We didn't have that anymore. We, what we did is we lived up to our own words. We lived up to our um, own, own outcome. We lived up to our own identity. Well, okay, so we, we create these identities, possession, um, creating options and chasing the ball down. Well, actually now what we've got is we've got a central language between us all. So when I have actually have a go at you as a player, um, you know, there was a loose ball on the court and you stood there and watched it move. Well, that's not acceptable. So that gives me as a youngster or someone in authority to be able to speak to you on a on a on an even level, Tom. And that that was absolutely key because within a team you've got players who have been there 14, 15 years, and then you've got players who are just new in. Well, how does that new player speak to that older player when you're trying to be a team? What it did is it gives that central language, that confidence to to be able to speak to each other about what was acceptable within the team and what was not acceptable. And that was on and off court as well, you know, living to behaviours. And, and like I say, how you, how you interpreted that behaviour, well, that was, that was the interpretation of the team. The whole team had bought into that behaviour. How you got to that behaviour was, was all individual, individualised, because that was absolutely key within our team. But it, 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 it actually drove our team to, to be what it was. Casey, you, 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 made, you made all the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. <laughs> what an amazing story. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, when you were talking around, we're not living up to someone else's words, we're living up to our own. I think, I think that's just so fitting. And how, how actually perhaps success in one team, you can't necessarily just pick up that model and put it into your own because it's a different group of people and, and you're, you're trying to achieve maybe something slightly different. Um, and just what the, the, there was what you talked about, the, the why, the what and the how. Um, we, we've done some work at UK Coaching around helping coaches understand their why and start with that. And then what they do and how they do it will come naturally. But kind of having really clear on what makes you you as a coach and what are you trying to achieve and start there is really important. So to hear that and how that would work for a, for a wider team with this, this mission to, and this this kind of challenge to go on is just just really inspiring oh thanks tom <laughs> i have to remember all this tom you know i am um, it's been a it's been a year now since i've been out of coaching <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell crazy you, you, you're really I, I, <laughs> I put i put i put the whole team i put the whole country in lockdown when i went on maternity i think <laughs> <laughs> just to wait till we come back <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned Trace around um, having different diff play players who are at different stages of their careers and different levels of experience within within the same squad. Um, what what's that like for you as, as as the coach and developing really kind of close and meaningful relationships with individuals? Does that require maybe some different skills and some different behaviours than, than setting that that wider team brief? And is that individual coaching skill something quite different? Bearing in mind, um, I'd probably played with a lot of the top end of the players. Um, so the, the ones that were probably more, who are heavily experienced, I, I'd, I'd actually probably been in a team with them at some point, um, whether they were just youngsters coming in and they were like one of the, the rookies um, or they were actually in my team as, as I was going into competition as well. I think the one thing that, 
really was one of probably the biggest learning steps for me as a coach um, was this word loyalty um, and presuming that because you, as an athlete, you'd been in that team, when you become a coach, the, the, the same the same dynamics will be the same and, and they're definitely not. Um, and, you know, we, we had a situation where we started a centralised programme and, you know, we, we had a big revolt from a lot of the players um, within that particular programme. And a lot of them players were good friends of mine um, and I'd played heavily with them, you know, in clubs and obviously internationally. And they obviously weren't agreeing in what we where we wanted to move England netball. And that that actually, that, that takes quite a lot of um, emotional management as, as an individual personally, because I think one thing in coaching is that you, if you take things personally, then you're in the wrong job um, and, and you have to see it as a business. And um, when, when, we, when I was starting to manage them, that, you know, it, it, it then become a real big learning step for me um, because the, the, I always find with experienced players, they, they've, they've done a lot of things. They've done that practice probably 14 times. You know, you, you're trying to get them to drive out on a centre pass, you know, wing attack centre pass. Well, how, you know, if they think they're 37 year old when we've playing netball since they were nine year old, how many times, if they've been a wing attack all that time, how many times have they done that practice? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a way of, and also, you know, how many individual performance plans have they been in? You know, they've had a 17, you know, we've got one girl in our team who has been there for 21 years um, in the England team. How many IPPs has she been in? How many individual meetings? How many feedback meetings has she been in? You know, and the thing that people forget is that every new coach comes in, they're doing the same thing. You you actually, I haven't found one coach that does, you know, the the overlay of the programme any different you know, obviously there's a skill level and a knowledge within that, but the overlay of the programme about what you've got to tick off is, is pretty much the same across all levels of coaching, you know. Um, but it, I think I found with the um, experienced players was that you, ha- you have to change that a little bit. Um, you know, they know they have to do their IPP, but th- there's there's different ways that you can do it with them. Um, and, and it's been a little bit more creative within your environment. How many fitness testings have they been in? You know, how many times, and you know, and, and there's a level of improvement that you're going to get from them. There's, there's obviously a baseline you need from them, but there's also, they, they know their bodies a lot more than you do. Um, they know what keeps them on tap. And once you start to move to that professional level, they become actually quite, quite self-trained. You know, they, they come to a point where they, they know what keeps them on court and they know that what doesn't keep them on court. And, and, and I think one of the things, you know, we hear a lot of coaches, you know, get frustrated about a player that comes in and goes, um, I, I don't feel great today. Um, my knees are a little bit sore, particularly with the experienced players. But it's about being proactive on that and getting to learn um, your experienced players' bodies and how, how they work within your environments. And I think that was one thing that I did. I, I, I think I did really, really well. I, I started not to separate the group, but I started to invest in, you know, in changing the environment, um, including the senior players with the younger players, but making it a little bit more fun. Um, 
you know, doing things in, in different ways, um, giving them a little bit more um, responsibility within the environment so they're not always being led. They start taking a little bit of responsibility about um, ensuring that things are being done. So, you know, one of the crucial things um, leading into Commonwealth Games and World Cup was that, you know, a lot of the, the older players led the examples within the training, you know, we, why do I need to watch a senior player do her prehab? You know, I don't need to do it. She, she does it by clockwork every single day. So we started to give them a lot of training responsibility within the environment that sometimes they went and took, you know, they actually led them sessions or responsible them sessions, even the younger players, you know, they, they also, they like the younger players taking sessions because the younger players are a little bit more creative. They're doing something different that the older players haven't done. Um, and and we, started, we started to do a lot of work around there. And then in respect to the communication, I think the more experienced players are probably the, the hardest ones to deal with. And I, I say myself, I'm quite high maintenance myself. Um, but there's, like I say, there's different ways to deal with them. Leading them in a meeting is not great. They become, you know, sometimes they become opinionated. Um, people expect them to speak out when really they're not that bothered, but they do because it's the expectation of the team. So what I used to do is I used to take them out of them environments and get their thoughts over a coffee. I used to take them maybe for a dinner um, and get their thoughts there. So that actually what I did is I started to listen to where their thinking was within the team or soundbite them in, in particular to what, what they did. What that did is when I went into a meeting then with the team, they didn't become my opposition. They become my foe because they used to support me within that. And I had some great captains um, at England Netball in Amar Gabezi, Ajiva Mentor, um, Serena Guffrey. And we, we used to be all on the same page. So they actually did a lot of my work for me within within the player group because they they were the ones that they heard the information first. And I think that's really key. Keeping information from a group of athletes is, is the worst place you can particularly keep women from, particularly women, because that's the only one I've coached. So actually sharing that information, it, it didn't become a surprise to them or a shock because the questions were answered a lot of the time through the discussions through the players as well. So I think that's the question you wanted there, Tom, was it? <laughs> Is that the answer you wanted there? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I, I, I mean, I was really curious to, to what, what you might say, but I think where you've talked about giving responsibility to, to different different individuals and understanding what, what the player needs. And, and I think that, that kind of rewinds back to what you said right at the start around was a holistic approach to development. It's not just about the technical, tactical stuff. It's understanding them as people and, and what, what they need at this stage in their career. And I think yeah. perhaps, sorry, go on. No, no, I, I, leadership for me has changed, Tom. Like I'm, I'm talking where I've evolved through coaching for England um, you know I, I, I've come from an amateur to a professional environment um, where leadership was more autocratic players didn't want a voice didn't have time for a voice they were going to work from you know they set out to, they did the training in the morning at seven o'clock they go to work at nine they stop work at five grab some quick tea they come out to training and go home so um, we'll just finish off with a couple of quick questions Tracy um, this, this one's really got three parts to it, okay? So I'll read you all three bits, um, and then let me know what you think, okay? So which principle did you start with at day one of your coaching um, that has stuck with you all the way through? Um, 
is there a principle that you started with when you started coaching and then decided to drop it? And then is there something that you started that you have um, picked up along the way and added to your repertoire? What What do you mean by a principle? Do you mean like um, behaviours? Yeah. So the, I guess the way you you approach your coaching or or something that maybe maybe it's your behaviours, your leadership, or even if it's a technical tactical thing. I think. Um, so there's there's obviously off court and on court. So the the behaviours that I personally live to, um, and and probably mark myself on it. And I got this from Damien Hughes actually. Um, I, I went and met him for a few coffees when I had um, a few difficulties. I'd seen him at um, a conference and, you know, united together. Um, that That's one thing I like to live towards. Um, solution focused and passionate. Them are the three things that are, are really key for me. Um, where they actually stem from, I don't know if you want to know the background. The passionate thing come from, um, I got um, one of my old coaches come across from New Zealand, um, real real top lady, Waitamaru. And she watched me coach one day. I got her to watch me coach um, and give me some feedback on it. And she said, that's not Tracy Neville. Um, and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, when, I, when you were a player, you were the highlight of the group. You got everyone laughing. You were relaxed. You were um, chatty. You know, you had a bubbliness about you. You you're not doing that in your coaching and you're not getting a good response from the players because that's the person they know or have known and now you're not that and I think that's what I drive in my passion and I become quite skillful at coming out of a conflicting meeting and five minutes later going into coaching making sure that that was and also Tom it's very hard to be that bubbly person all the time and so what I did is I surrounded myself with with people who were who were very relaxed with me, very confident with me, who could bring me out of myself without me actually doing it all the time on my own, which is quite exhausting. The United Together is um, more that I've, I've realised that if everyone's not on the same page, then you've, you've absolutely, you've got no chance. And what, what I started to do, and that probably, I probably influenced more within my, my on-court um, behaviours in the fact that, you know, one way of learning um, I learn in one way, um, but you learn in a different way, Tom. And I can't accept that you will learn in my way. And, and also the language I use, is you use different language to me. And I needed to know that when I got to a Commonwealth Games, when I said something to you, we were both on that same page and we both accepted that. So what I started to do is um, I started to get the players. So I obviously fed them some feedback. So before we went to a session, what I used to do is send them clips of, what we were going to do now that might have been a, I used to film all the training so I had the, the luxury of having a PA in in my sessions so I used to send them the, the practices that we we're doing bearing in mind we didn't have all our players all together the whole year so it actually become a great training tool for me so when players come into our environment I'd send them the practice they'd then ask other people so when they got to the practice it actually sharpened up my training sessions the other thing was that the things that we were doing um, within training, you know, players are easy to say because they want to get things over, they want to get home, or they want to get things done. But actually, I didn't, under, I didn't actually know if they were understanding what I was actually doing. So what I used to start to get them to do is, um, from competition, I used to do one-to-ones with them. I used to do unit. So I used to, every single game they had, they had a one-to-one, they had a unit, and they had a team talk after every single game. 
But what I start, we started to do is we started to discuss our thinking about what we were doing on the court. Um, that, really, that really supported me because I started to understand how they interpreted what I wanted them to do and they, they started to understand how, what I wanted them to do. So it actually become then a real, um, it, you know, it become an equal approach to the game. And that, that started at units because then I st we started to then get gel that in about where I wanted the ball and where I want, you know, the coach has a different opinion to the player who received it and the, the pass, I, you know, and so on and so on. So we started to become a central thinking and united together on that. And then the solution focus thing was that a lot of problems come on your doorstep um, as a coach. I can't. I can't say it's very often that you get a lot of positivity in your day. Um, you know, a lot of slu a lot of problems come, and I, I was one of them thinking that I can't live with more people just keep putting more and more pressure on me and digging me down into the ground. It actually wasn't good for my mental well-being. It wasn't good for then my approach to the players or my answers because as my bucket started to get full, I started to then become a lot. Um, sharper in my responses. I was never, I'm not a rude person, but, you know, I hadn't got time for um, more and more things to be added to me because I had my own personal problems as well and my own thinking. So I started to try and develop a problem where, you know, well, don't just keep bringing me problems, bring me a solution. You know, if you say you don't like the food, well, you know, that the nutritionist has done, then what's your solution? Well, let the players lead it. So then if you complain, if you complain about the food menus, then take it to Jodie because she's actually, she was our uh, menu guru in camp. So what I started to do is then problems started to step away from me. Um, and that actually started to relieve a lot of pressure away from me. So, and that was also within staff. You know, don't tell me that I don't have a physio in, that the physio is ill. Tell me which physio we are going to get next. You know, that's, that's what I wanted. And, and that, them are the three behaviours that I try and live to. So I'd never take problems to people. I try and take a problem. I, I take the problem, but I take the solution. I try and take the solution as well. Um, so them are the three things that I probably live to on and off court. Fantastic. I, again, I think there's there's so much in that that you could unpack and help coach and coaches can really think about what they do in their own environments and how they how they bring that to to the way that they work. For for me, just a highlight of what you just talked about is that that range of debrief after a game, that one-to-one, -one, the unit, the team talks, and how that, how that supports a player and helps their voice be heard as well. So, so you can see the game or, or elements of the game from their point of view and their perspective. Uh, yeah. I, I just like to see it differently, don't we? Yeah, and, and Tom, what, what it does is, I get to a Commonwealth Games, and we've got a game nearly every day. World Cup, we had, I think we had four games in a row. You can't give unit... Indiv you can't give um, individual unit and team after every game you know it's just not feasible you you know you've got to part that and go on to next but what it does is and the influence that I had was that you get to a commonwealth games um final and bearing in mind in the semi-final of against jamaica i took off one of our key players after the first quarter like it was probably the biggest coaching decision that we'd made as a coaching group but then i put her on in the last quarter but i needed her for the final the day after and what it did is I sat down with her and I gave her, we, we did individual feedback with her, but it was nothing new to her. It was nothing new to her because she'd had it for the four years that I'd been in post. So at that competition, she didn't probably get individual feedback through that competition, but she was used to receiving individual feedback from me. 
and it wasn't a shock to us. She knew we knew we were both on the same page. We knew we wanted the same from the game or the same from the position. And it, it wasn't that I was just bringing her in because she'd not had the best game. And and I think that's what was a real positive. It, it gave us a relationship that was actually real natural. And it, it made made us at Commonwealth Games that we could focus in on different things. Right, this one, we're just going to do a team talk. We're just going to look at the team. This one, we're, we're actually going to look at units on this one because you're playing New Zealand. These are particular units we had to attack as a unit. So it enabled us to start to jigsaw piece things at a Commonwealth Games rather than put the whole picture together because players then started to accept what you wanted from them and it would become an easy style of coaching for us. Fantastic. No, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Look, Chrissy, thanks so much for, for the last kind of 45, 50 minutes or so. Um, it's been brilliant to chat to you and uh, I'm sure that the coaches listening to this will have lots they can take away and think about their own leadership and their own behaviours in, in their sport and their environment and, and what they can do with this. So, yeah, thank you again. Thanks a lot, Tom. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.